Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 61. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Next week, we are celebrating the one-year anniversary for What Should I Read Next? And this is the first of two special anniversary episodes. If you've enjoyed the show over the past year, the best thing you could do for us is to pop over to iTunes and leave a review. Please visit whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes to share the reading love. That's whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes. Today, we're talking to the very first guest of What Should I Read Next, except that you've never heard him before. That's because the first time we recorded the show, it was on my iPhone, in a moving vehicle, in the middle of nowhere, and that guest was my husband, Will Bogle. That's our lost episode, because that file got trashed a long time ago. But this time, we're bringing him back again for the first time. Let's get to it. William, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. Here is why you were so great to be on the anniversary episode. You'll remember this. I might have talked about it on Instagram. Maybe. I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast. But the idea for What Should I Read Next was born about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. But I didn't actually record a sample episode until we were driving in the same vehicle through the middle of rural Pennsylvania in October, 2015, I guess. We were on our way back from New York City, the kids were in the car, and we had the rough format hammered out, three books you love, one book you hate, and what you are reading now, and I would tell you what you should read next. But I'd never actually tried it with a live guinea pig, and that was you. I I remember that, but I didn't know you were recording. We don't typically record with kids around. Wait, we totally recorded, and we might have... Did we play it back in the car? I, I don't remember. I, not. <laughs> I still remember your hate. I don't really? remember your loves. I, I understand now what everybody has a hard time coming up with a hate. It's tough. So I'm really curious what my old hate was. Did I give you advance notice before we recorded it in the car? Because I don't recall you having a hard time coming up with a book you hated. What was it? It's on your list for today. Oh, really? <laughs> Let's get into the show. <laughs> You're consistent, if nothing else. Okay, so I do mention you sometimes on the show. So you've never been on the show, but you kind of have, because I talk about books I have encouraged you to read, despite your maybe initial aversion to said titles. I'm trying to think of an example right now. Probably some books with girly covers I tell you to read anyway, because you have read before I have some books that I really ended up loving, like Chris Cleve's Everyone Brave is Forgiven. Like I've told the story about how you were reading and bed going. <laughs> And reading like dialogue out loud to me and how that hooks me on wanting to read the story before or even really hooked me on the story before I'd read the story myself. So this isn't your first time on the show, even though it's your first time on the show. Glad to be back. (laughs) Okay. So listeners know you as my husband and not as a real person. So can you tell us a little bit about your real life, not married to Anne bio? Yeah, my real life bio. Uh, So I'm the business guy at a software company. I've done a number of very different businesses. Uh, I was in banking, uh, had a stint in coffee, which uh, keeps us, uh, when we travel, fair, visiting the coffee shop, visiting the bookstore, um, and now I'm into software. It's an interesting mix of uh, both fantasy and sci-fi. 
<laughs> yeah, I've gotten some good sci-fi recommendations from your coworkers, actually, just to hammer all the stereotypes about working in software. There, there's a few readers there. A couple, couple of them, uh, uh, we trade quite a few books back and forth. Have you always been a reader, or was that a requirement when we got married a long time ago? You didn't say as much, but, uh, I, you know, I, I was reading uh, pretty heavily. Oh, heavily? I don't know. Okay, so so I think I started enjoying reading uh latter part of, of high school. I don't know if I actually read books during college other than assigned stuff, but that was plenty. But, yeah, we we packed, packed the suitcases uh, even for our honeymoon, so uh, books kind of flowed. It helped living next to a library, too. So yeah. between you and easy access, yeah, I, I've been reading quite a bit. I'm not sure if I've mentioned that before on the show, but we lived literally next door to a library for the first how many years we were married? 13. Yeah, it was a long time. It was awesome. I still miss that. Even th Now we're like 1.2 miles away, and it's 1.15 so miles <laughs> too far. Oh, it's so sad because it really spoils you. Okay, so what happened in late high school that turned you into a reader? It sounds like you weren't one of those kids reading books under the covers with a flashlight. Uh, no, I, I uh, did have that under the covers experience, but I was already... I don't know, 16 or 17 and had my own room in the basement where no one could tell if I had a light on. But I don't even know why I picked it up. I had I had the firm and I had been going through it for actually I don't even I don't remember. Uh, I, so there was one night that I finished the book and that's actually the only thing I remember about reading the firm. I have no idea how long it took me to get to that point, but there there is a spot where it is just on a runaway train to the ending and I think Tom Cruise is literally running through the movie. Um but uh, I got to that spot and at 10 o'clock at night, I was just like, okay, it's, it's a few more pages. Well, I'll keep going. Well, and I just wrapped the whole thing up that night. It was late, probably two, you know, something like that. So can we call that the book that made you a reader? Cause I like stories like that. I know you do. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I remember doing like the, uh, library reading challenges in the summer and stuff like that as a kid, but I definitely, that that's sort of a spot where I was remember picking my own books and, and uh, something longer than a short, you know, kid's biography or, or YA type stuff. Did they have YA back then? When you're reading as a kid, you don't think of it as YA. It's just a book. No, if there was that shelf, my mom probably would. Well, you know what? My mom gave me free reign pretty much. I wouldn't say she kept me away from it, but she might have if she'd known. What role does reading have in your life now? It gives me something to do while you're reading. <laughs> Uh, but, but I think it, it, it fills a lot of the same. Um, I think we keep fairly busy. Uh, so it's, it's a nice kind of end of the day, uh, or sometimes Sunday afternoons, just sort of kick back and, and have a couple of quiet minutes on the couch. Okay. I have a question for you. Laura Vanderkam has this theory that there are supply side readers and demand side readers and supply side readers will read whenever they have a great book. So if somebody hands them the firm and they're totally hooked on the story and they can't put it down, they'll fly through it and they will make time to read. But demand side readers, they don't need to have a great book to read. They will go out and find a book if they don't have a book to read because they like to be reading all the time. It's just part of their lives. Which one are you? I don't actually know the answer. I'm very curious. So supply side. And I'm trying to think of what it is, but you, you've caught me a couple times reading a book and going, wait a second. Why does your bookmark look like it's at the end of that book that you just started? And I can't think of a great example right now, but it, it's definitely 
uh, I will make time for the the speedy, fun read. We have we have plenty supply of books around this house, so so I don't have want for like finding a book, um, but I don't I don't find a lot of time for it unless it's something I'm really into. Okay, so in getting ready to recommend books for you for this podcast, I've been like combing over the shelves and I've realized how many books you have read that we've been able to talk about together in the past year. It's kind of a lot. Like, um, let me think. Like there was The Nest. There was definitely Everyone Brave is Forgiven that we've already talked about. There was All the Light We Cannot See. Mm-hmm. Flight of Dreams. That was, I read that. Oh, that I forgot was just you read this that. Summer. Yeah. About the Hindenburg. Yep. Dark Matter. Oh, yeah. Well, actually. You talked me into that one because you read that. You read that at the beach right when it first came out, and it took me four more months to pick it up. I can see why you liked it. <laughs> okay, what I think else? it was still it was that was one of your urgings though. the The boys in the boat was a great recommendation. Um, I don't know that was. I think I read that last year. And who read Every Anxious Way first? Was that me or was that you? I think that was you. That I was, think you talked me that into was it. Definitely me. Okay, I think so. That's the book that has a vinyl album on the mm-hmm. cover, yep. and I think that came, and you were like, ah. Oh, a man book. Is, isn't there a category for the reading challenge that uh, you pick it up because of the cover? Yes. I'm not doing the reading challenge, but that would be my – except I already read it. But I, that was definitely like – it's a white cover with a record on it. I don't know what this is about, but I'll read it. I might have finished the book before I realized the pretty symmetrical design was an album. <laughs> not, a, not a real strong tie-in, you're saying? I'm saying I wasn't the target audience, but I still enjoyed it, and I like to find a book like that. Okay, so today we want to stock your shelves for the coming year. Actually, I really hope it's more like the coming month. When you say stock my shelves for a year, like I worry about how many books you're going to pile on. Three, or actually maybe four. I have a bonus pick in mind. Are you ready to talk about your books? I'm ready. Okay, so you know how we do it around here. You tell me three books you love, one book you hate. Awesome. Did you have a hard time coming up with your loves and hates? Uh, I think you told me I had too many loves. Um, so pairing, pairing down to, to three representative books was tough. Um, of course, hate is hard. Um, I came up with one, but uh, I'm curious. You, you said that I may have hated this book a year ago also. Let's start with your favorites. What's book one? So this is this was easy because I've read it like ten times. Um, Are you serious? Oh, probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jimmy Buffett has a novel called "Where Is Joe Merchant." It's as ridiculous as all his songs, um, and and super fun and really fast read. So it's a great beach read, summer read. I frequently for will... who? for me because I'm skeptical. Have you not? Have you never read this? I've never read this book. Really. Yeah. Is that okay? We'll see who's recommending books to whom. <laughs> Is the podcast over now? <laughs> so Jimmy Jimmy Buffett, I, I seriously, I think for a while after we were married, I took it to the, the pool like every summer, read it once. Did it take the whole summer? Please say no. No, okay. it's it's super fast. It's probably four or 500 pages, but it's a fast read. How long ago did you read this book for the first time? I know I was first given a copy in high school by someone we both know with a ridiculously large uh, bookshelf in his closet. But I don't, I don't know if I read it then or, or not. So definitely college. I can't imagine what a Jimmy Buffett novel would be like. So can you tell us a little bit about the story? You don't have to give us a plot summary, but just tell us a little bit about 
<laughs> I just can't even. Okay. You don't even know where to start. I don't know uh, where to start. Uh, it starts with a typical Jimmy Buffett sounding character. He's a beach bum, uh, I think a pilot. Uh, or he is, he is a pilot. Um, and there is. All the bad jokes are coming to mind, biting my tongue. <laughs> I thought you were going to say all the bad lyrics. They're um, all they're, about they're a lot, Bill. They're. <laughs> There are a lot of stories uh, or, or plot lines, I guess, characters in this book that are actually familiar if you've listened to uh, much of his music. But uh, I don't know. He's down on his luck or bad in love or something like that. And then there is uh, adventure and intrigue with a Joe Merchant is a rock star who has disappeared. Really? Because he sounds like a sailor. I can't even think. Of it. No, he's he's the Joe Merchant's the rock star. I cannot think of the Jimmy Buffett guy's name. That's okay. I need to read it again. Apparently. Maybe spring break. We got a ways till summer. Okay. Do you think I would like it? No. <laughs> Do you think no, I'd you appreciate it? You, uh, Do you think I'd admire the way it was written no. so well, even if maybe it wasn't my favorite? Maybe. Maybe in my beach bag for next Oh, year. yeah. It wouldn't take you more than an afternoon. Okay. So, yeah. It's, okay. a, it's a fun, quick read if you're into quirky adventure beach island hopping sort of uh yeah adventures with the rock star disappearing i can almost imagine that being a veronica mars novel and i like those oh it's close to veronica mars really well only in the uh puzzling together of of things that have happened and uh this is florida beaches not california beaches but yeah that's okay it's something to go on something to go on okay what's book two uh, so the second one is also, uh, I don't know, Madcap, or it's it's ridiculous, uh, but the Ballad of the Whiskey Robber, this one happens to be a true story, though. So, I recommended this to Meredith in episode 11, I think. And we, okay, so this was given to us by a friend, and it sat around for a long time before either of us picked it up, because as I warned Meredith and many readers since and before, this book has one of the ugliest covers I have ever seen, and the story just sounds weird. Is the cover of the uh, uh, Neighborhood Watch criminal drawing? But with no teeth and maybe a mustache. I thought the cover was great. What? What? Are you serious? We're looking it up. Hang on. Oh! Is that a great cover? Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> okay, go with that. How's that? I think I'm, the I'm colors blo are I'm dreadful. blocking out the, the objectionable... Uh, They're uh, chartreuse. Chartreuse. In Minute Maid Orange. And we're looking on the screen. I think they're actually worse. In per do we own this book or did we lend it out? I think out? We, lent, we lent it out and has not come back. Oh, it was that good, people. They needed to keep it. Okay, so I think what that means is you are the target audience and I am not. Who read it first? I don't remember. It's been a long time. It has been a while. I think I've only read this one once, um, but this is a true story. So this is 90s Hungry. Uh, there's definitely a lot in uh, the geopolitics of that area that's very different and this is just a ridiculous story about a hockey player who starts robbing banks and it's almost pink pantherish in in how uh bumbling the, the cops or government are in, in in tracking this down and it's actually written by a, i think a sports illustrated writer and so there is there's a heavy like hockey component there's a, a good bit of of sort of what's happening in the that part of Europe in that time. Uh, but, but also it's just this really, uh, funny, f can bank robbers be funny and happy? It just feels like such a, 
almost giddy, gleeful, can you believe what is even happening kind of story. It's just fun to read. And I'm not into hockey or bank robbing. Or bank robbing. Yeah, I, I actually – so I said I did banking for a number of years before. I read a book while working at a bank called Robbing Banks. Um, I had to not take it to work anymore, but, uh, it was, it was like a history of bank robbing and, and it started with like people that dug, you know, walls when they had dirt floors, uh, they would, they would dug, dug under the walls, uh, when they had dirt floors, uh, all the way up to some of the more famous, um, bank robberies. There was one in, I think LA, uh, there was a bank of America and they, the two guys had like full, uh, bulletproof vests and, and, uh, assault gear and stuff like that. This is not like that. Like this is this is it, it's fun, fun, and you end up rooting for the bank robber kind of deal. Um, yeah, this could never be a Nicolas Cage movie. It should be a movie. Maybe other people would like it more if it was a movie. But I don't think anybody would believe it. I mean, what would it be on a par with? I mean, that's it, the best thing about it. That it reads like a novel. Yeah, yeah, it's almost too bizarre to be true. Okay, something else I really liked about this, but also kind of gave me the creeps, was knowing that the big like shootout at the end of the book happened in Hungary, like in the same square where we got some like fancy Hungarian pastries when we were there in two thousand one. Like, oh yeah, and it wasn't the time frame. Like, it wasn't that different. We're was, like, Wait a minute, we were just. It there. was not that different. So it sounded so like of a different era. Like the description says that the thieves learn their skills watching dubbed episodes of Columbo. Like it just feels like it feels like an episode of car 54 actually is what it feels like. I am not a car 54 expert. I've seen every episode cause my dad loves it, but it feels like that just so bumbling and endearingly incompetent. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Okay. What's book three. So book three is, is definitely different from the, the last two as uh, ridiculous and, and madcap, I guess, as they are. Um, but this is a uh, – uh, book three is completely different from the other two, um, but also fairly in line with the kinds of things I read. Uh, it's a book called Worm by Mark Bowden. Most people would know Mark Bowden from uh, Black Hawk Down, uh, but he also wrote this book about the conficker – what is frequently referred to as the configure virus uh, that was probably five years ago or more uh, was a, a big deal that people were worried about the computers getting viruses and all that. If you care, it's not a virus, it's a worm, which is why the book is called Worm. But uh, there's a whole history of uh, how the government responded to this, how, how private citizens, um, mostly security experts, sort of figure this out. There's some uh, really funny... Uh, details like a uh, security expert that gets invited to the FBI and uh, he wants to to show them his presentation and they take a thumb drive and just plug into a computer and he laughs at them and they're like, why are you laughing? And he says, it's in the presentation because uh, that's a really terrible way to transfer viruses when you don't have control over those things. It, now being in software, some like really scary stuff about, wow, there are people out there doing things that are way more advanced than we're prepared to deal with. Okay, so that sounds really interesting. And I remember thinking it looked fascinating when you were reading it, I think, on the beach. So it's always a good sign when you have nonfiction that you could read on the beach. So I'm wondering, do you think I'd enjoy it? Should I read it now? Oh, it's definitely still pertinent now. I think I think you'd like it. The, the interesting thing about it is I don't know that anything really ever came of it. So this is a very complex whatever virus infection, and it spread like crazy. But I and, and it was set on a timer, so I was checking for instructions. Everybody expected something terrible to happen, uh, and I don't know that it has, uh, which of course leads to all kinds of questions about 
what was the intent, what were people trying to do with it. Um, but I think now people talk about security and not just hacks, but but more of these botnets where they get control of your computer and just don't really do anything until they need to use lots and lots of power and lots of machines to to attack something. Um, so I think I think it's interesting in in that sense still today. I know you finally came up with a hate. What was it? Well, I wouldn't say I finally came up with. I, I had a book and and then wasn't sure that that was um, such a good idea. But uh, it's it's Lone Survivor. Um, and the reason that I feel terrible about picking this book is, is the uh, true story about a Navy SEAL team uh, that was pinned down in Afghanistan. Um, and only one of the – it was at the time the, the biggest Navy SEAL – uh, casualty event um, ever and uh, made a new movie with Mark Wahlberg and uh, the guy fr- Tim Riggins, the guy from uh, Friday Night Lights. Really? Yeah. Um, Texas Forever. <laughs> Texas Forever. So uh, it's a Actually, it was only an okay movie, too. It's an amazing story. So, so part of the reason I feel bad about picking it as a hate book is because it has a 4.7 on Amazon. Does that surprise you? That surprises yes. me. Yes. Also, it lists a contributor. So, so all along, my beef has been he should have gotten a ghostwriter or at least someone to help him with it because it was written by the Navy SEAL, um, and it, it is a great story. I just and I've read a bunch of Navy SEAL books. I think Navy SEALs, I, a bunch of military books. So Black Hawk Down, um, which was great, a lot more complex than this. But um, so that's Mark Bowden um, that we were just talking about. Uh, Fearless, um, which is uh, Eric. Blame, I believe. Yeah, this sounds familiar. <clears throat> and and then I I was reading Navy SEAL books back uh, in say high school, and it was a uh, so there's definitely a almost a genre for that kind of of war story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, I just really felt like he could have used a writer to tell that story. Um, even uh, Krakauer wrote the the story about uh, Pat Tillman, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I just I thought. For as important a, an event and as as amazing a uh, 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 story as as his survival was, it would have somebody else could have done a lot more justice to it. Okay, so amazing story, but the book didn't do it justice. Correct. And again, the movie was nice, but it's a little hard to pack all that into to two hours. Yeah. What are you reading now? Uh, right now, uh, I'm reading Deep Work which you have set aside for me months ago and it's sort of been <laughs> at, at various uh of levels on the on the to be read stack um but finally got into it and I don't think that was like part of a new year plan I just had the time at this point but uh it's about work and uh particularly doing important work and and setting aside the time for getting involved in a task uh versus constantly being distracted and moving from thing to thing yeah, so this is Cal Newport, and I've read his other stuff, um, especially So Good They Can't Ignore You. I've always liked his content. I really like the writing in this one a lot more, but I've always thought he had really good information in his books. Yeah, so he talks about how the currency for the current generation is going to be learning how to pay attention, and in some cases relearning because we're so distracted. We distract ourselves with social media and tasks of chipping through email instead of going into the cave for three hours to make something important i appreciated it as just a it was a nice kick in the pants for me well and for me i because i manage people who do what should be deep work um you and i talk about the maker versus manager schedules Mm -hmm. and i'm definitely a manager so i'm reading it sort of in two ways thinking 
how do I help the company be better at providing space for deep work for, for the developers, but then also realize that a lot of what I do is bounce back and forth. So, so how do I then carve out time for myself to do deep work? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, so far I'm probably halfway through, and uh, he he's also a uh, computer scientist, so uh, a lot of the the stories and stuff are, are he doesn't talk a lot about computers, but they're relatable, and I understand the the space pretty well about why you need that kind of thing. But he also talks about what psychiatry and and uh, uh, journalism and some other stuff. So it's it's got good good anecdotal type stories as as well as he calls them rules, but I guess tips on on how to do this. Okay, talking about it makes me want to read it again. I really like that one. And this would be a good time of year to read or reread a book like that. Well, and you read it months ago. I, it's been sitting on my stack for a while. So. <laughs> well, if you just read me the good lines, maybe I won't have to read it again myself. I can read something else and get half the benefit. Well, what do you want more of in your reading life? Maybe just more reading. Uh, I don't keep track of my books. I'm going to for 2017 because... <clears throat> How are you going to do that? In a bullet journal. <gasps> Yay! Um, <laughs> I, oh, quick plug. It, for the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, I am teaching a class on bullet journaling for book lovers on January 18th. So that's free for all members. You can sign up at members.modernmrsdarcy.com. It's going to be super fun. We're putting the finishing touches on it right now. We're showing you the basics of bullet journaling in general, and then lots of creative ways you can get more out of your reading life and track your books and get motivation and encouragement and habit tracking by using your bullet journal in bookish specific ways. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll give you the shortcuts in advance, William. I don't think I'm going to go that deep. So I'm I, glad you're going to check your books, though. I, yeah, I'm just going to make a list. Uh, of course, it's easier for me because I don't read nearly as many books as I think a lot of your listeners or book club uh, members do. You don't need to block out 50 pages. No, it's it, it'll be it'll be pretty short. But you know, I, I go through through uh, spurts. I mean, I'll knock off four or five when we go to the beach. Um, but then I'll have a month where I don't make it through a single book. Uh, some of that I think is, is choosing the books that I'll get engaged with. Mm. Um, you gave me, uh, 11, 22, 60. This is terrible. Three, four. <laughs> this is terrible. That's terrible. Um, the, the Stephen 63. King book. Okay. Yeah. 11, 22, 63. It's like I don't 900 know. pages. Yeah. It's 900 pages and it was all very readable, but I probably could have been four books. And and I would have been fine with reading one of them. So momentum is important. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. Uh, going back to supply and demand, I'm definitely more on the supply side. So I, I need something that that I can get into. And uh, so yeah, momentum is very uh, key to keeping me going. Um, more on the supply end of of my reading time. Okay, more tracking, more time to read, more momentum. I have the time. Less West Wing. That would help. Yeah. Okay. So we're almost to season seven and we keep saying that uh, we'll just, we'll start going to bed early and waking up early. It's Netflix season. (laughs) It is. It's totally Netflix season. Okay. So I have ideas for what you should read next or with one example of what I want you to read next. Those might be slightly different things. We'll get to them right after the break. William, welcome back. Thanks. What have you got? <laughs> okay. Well, usually I like to tell guests what I notice about their books and the patterns I see and everything, but I feel like I know your taste better than most. But um, 
Yeah, you want interesting books with, uh, you have a lot of information in the books you like as a general rule. As a general, yeah, I actually used to only read nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a common tale. Yeah. So I've gotten away from that, but yes, yeah, still very information heavy. Okay, so I want stuff that's kind of maybe dense, not in a, you know, not in the boring way, but in a way where a lot is packed in. I'm really keeping momentum in mind. You want stuff where the plot moves forward, even if it's a plot to rescue a Navy SEAL or <laughs> create a computer virus to take over the world. We want the ball moving forward. How does that sound? Yeah, I think, I think that's about it. Okay. I also want to recommend books that I've been wishing you'd read for a long time. <laughs> for your own good. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Book one is Magic and Loss by Virginia Heffernan. What do you know about this book? It has a black cover and has been in our house for several months. It has a really cool cover. I recommend if you can find a copy of this book in hardcover in a local bookstore in person, it's a really cool cover. It's very textured. It's kind of shiny. It really stands out. Virginia Heffernan is a, I think she's a staff writer for the New York Times, for the magazine maybe. She's written a lot for them and for places like The New Yorker and Wired, which I'm thinking you probably read some. Right. Right. This book has a weird subtitle that I don't love. It's The Internet as Art. And I can see how that would turn a lot of people off, which is why I want to say, bear with me. Ooh, another reason I think this would be good for you was as I was reading it, I kept thinking, I think I read it pretty close to when I talked to Jamie Golden on What Should I Read Next, which she was like episode three, two. She was very, very early. Jamie Golden was episode one. She was episode one? Yeah. What a way to start the show. If you haven't heard that, you should go listen to anything Jamie's done because she's amazing. Which also means that was a year ago. So this has been in our house a while. Maybe it has. Okay. So, but reading this, I thought, oh man, Jamie Golden would love that book. So I know tons of you have listened to that episode and really like her stuff and her show, The Popcast. And if you think, I want to read whatever Jamie Golden is reading, I don't know that she's reading this, but I think she'd enjoy it. So there you go. Okay. So Heffernan has been called, this is from The Jacket, America's preeminent cultural critic. Does that sound interesting to you or super boring? Maybe pretentious. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about boring, but... That's the, that's the part you're skimming. Okay. So it's called Magic and Loss. And I don't want to super explain this a lot, but here's the basic gist. She says that the internet has done amazing things for us, that some of the things that we can do with the internet feel magical. But she also says, ooh, and this ties in really well with the Cal Newport book. She also says that there is definitely a price we pay for the things we can now do on the internet. Like I see my neighbors more on Facebook than I do in person, which is super convenient, but also it's a loss in a way of a, you know, of a different kind of community. And we email instead of snail mail, which is awesome and also a trade-off. So she talks about the trade-offs of the internet that we make both purposely and without even thinking twice about it, saying that if we at least examine what we're doing and why, we'll be able to make better decisions about the choices we make. And she just has this way of seeing things through a lens that we don't automatically, or at least that I don't automatically. And she points out different um, common experiences among human beings in a really interesting, thoughtful, engaging, highly readable way. And this book would be really easy to read just a few pages at a time because it's not something where you need to follow her argument that unfolds over 30 pages. She's funny. She's a little potty mouthed at times. She's got a snarky tone. I think you'd like it. What do you think? Is it naggy? 
No, 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 no. It's not naggy. And I can see when you see something like cultural critic that you might think it's very intellectual. And I think that she, I mean, she's certainly, she's writing for the New York Times. I mean, Well, I was more worried about the loss. You know, is is she, uh, how heavy is it on the the loss versus the magic? I might not want to give up the things that, the magical things. I would say she's nuanced. Like she says, let's take a serious look, an honest look at what we gain and what we lost. Not because I want to like wag my finger at you, but because you notice interesting things when you're paying attention. Yeah, I'm down. Okay. Book two. Are you ready? Yeah. What's book two? Book two is Endurance, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage by Alfred Lansing. What do you think? I thought it was great. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't realize you've read it. It's funny. I When I think of Shackleton, I first encountered this this guy when your sister worked at the right. Cincinnati Museum and was curating an exhibit. I remember a really sad story about puppies. Not at the museum. In the book? In the book. There is a sad story. About that wasn't at the, I thought that was part of the exhibit. That they had photos of these really adorable puppies. Uh, I actually just read it. That were ill-fated. Two, maybe two years ago. I mean, I remember when she had the exhibit, um, but I didn't didn't get into it at that point. I'm not sure why I picked it up, but I think it was maybe just a couple years ago. That was my next question. Why I picked it up? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it totally seems like the kind of book you would like. I, whenever I hear like John Krakauer has a new one out or something like that, I always think, oh, I have to get it for Will because... You're, I mean, you're that kind of reader, right? That's fair. Yeah, I think so. And and is is Lansing that kind of writer? I don't know. I bet there's a very interesting story there, but I don't know what it is. He died in 1975. And Endurance also, was published in 59. Yeah, I didn't it took realize like it was that long. 50 years to to do all the research on this. So. Okay, very interesting. All right, then I have an alternate book too. This is not a new title to you. It is The One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. Oh. Because I really want you to try yeah, okay. for your own good, William. Not a new title, no. Um, so you, you did – that was Summer Reading Club? Mm-hmm. It was. Um, okay. I know everybody loved it and it has a red cover. But that that's literally all I know about it, even though you've said I should read it several times. So it's not that I've sold it too hard. I just no, I don't even, Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Here's what you need to know. We have – Friends, well, they're not friends yet. We have people drawn together through very unusual circumstances who would never have connected in any other way who end up being important people in each other's lives when they're all going through very difficult times. Wow, that sounds weepy. Okay, so we have a 103-year-old woman who quite soon, once the story gets started, decides she's going to be on a quest to become the, I think, the oldest licensed driver I think. So we have lots of Guinness Book of World Records stuff going on in this story. We have a little boy with a, like some kind of unnamed, um, like autistic spectrum disorder thing going on. Okay. Who's obsessed with the Guinness Book of World Records and lists of items of 10. We have a down on his luck career musician who is doing the work and has really like made it as a guy who can pay the bills with his music, but has never made it big. And 
they are drawn together by something that happens and end up being really important in each other's lives. And they all go on their own kinds of journeys. And um, Monica Wood brings in, I think you would really like this plot line. I really did. Monica Wood brings in this um, Christian contemporary music band that's young kids, affectionately known as the God Squad, who hire Quinn, the 40-year-old musician, as a uh, a fill-in guitar player and he becomes like a father figure to them and the guy who actually knows stuff coaching them through and then the god squad has issues when one of their members goes off and decides he's actually an atheist but that's a rather minor plot point it's just one that i think you would especially enjoy so the reason you wouldn't read this is because it has a cover that looks very whimsical and feminine but the reasons you would are all the great characters i think you would really like quinn i think you'd really like the kid i think it would remind me or remind you of people you know in your life and i think you would really like i think oh no it gets you so that's more than you've heard before how does it sound that's way more than i've heard so i don't have any reasons for not having read it yet well except whatever you're reading now because you gotta feel like it you know I do think this would be better bedtime reading than deep work, if that helps. That would help. You wouldn't have to take notes. That's true. Although, you know, I always have my book darts handy. Okay. So maybe. Oh, definitely. At this point, I'm, I feel like I'm on the hook for it. <laughs> okay. So book three is not typical, what should I read next policy? Okay. But is very typical how we do book recommendations in this household. I'm going to recommend a book I haven't read that I think sounds incredible. And I want to see what you think. So you can sort it for me because you know it's summer reading guide sorting season and we have we i have like nine bazillion books to read and you pre-sorted them some last year and you did a good job at, of it okay so this is a book i brought home from siba in savannah it's called no one is coming to save us it's by stephanie powell watts and here's the thing that made me pick it up off the table despite the fact that stephanie powell watts was just sweet as could be super charming just a lovely author in my you know 60 second cocktail party book interaction. Okay. So this is the great Gatsby modernized set in the rural Carolinas. Is that enough for you? Can I stop there? I think I'm actually nervous. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Because so, of what they'll do to Gatsby? Yeah. 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 Because I, you're I not know, sure that sounds like a good idea. What? Um, there have been other like modern retellings recently Ooh, and, well, yeah. and it just generally makes me nervous. Okay, so our son is actually reading The Great Gatsby in this next quarter. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And Kierkegaard just came out with their review just in the last couple of days, and they gave it a big, fat star. However, we've talked about how, I don't think on the podcast, but in the Bogle household, about how Kierkegaard and I seem to have opposite tastes. If they love it, I hate it. If they hate it, I love it. But I just finished a novel that um, they starred that I thought was really great. So maybe either I'm turning a corner or they are. What do you think? How does that sound? Oh, I'd be happy to find out. <laughs> That's the spirit. I like it. Okay, William. Of those three titles, we have them all in our house right now. Do we really? Yeah, yeah, we do. So we're making – you could really pick up something and start it immediately. What do you think you'll read next? Um, so the one in the million boy, uh, probably only because it's uh, been on the list the longest uh, – and I don't know, like you said, that's a better bedtime reading than, than say, Deep Work or Magic and Laws. So I'll go with that. I think I would like the sound of whatever you picked, but I really like the sound of that. And I can't wait to hear what you think. I'll be sure to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> You're better. Okay. Well, this was fun. Thank you for coming on the show one year later, one year and three months later. I'm glad to. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Will today. I promise you this was way better than our first Lost episode. 
Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Will should read next. He's too polite to say it, but I'm sure he would love to get recommendations from someone other than me. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 61. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Stay tuned till next week for our special What Should Anne Read Next anniversary episode. To make sure you don't miss it, head to your favorite podcast app right now and hit subscribe. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Anne Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.